Welcome back to the podcast, folks. Talking about some poetry, Samuel Johnson, Richard Yago, or Jago, I don't really know. Um, I liked Samuel Johnson, tell you what, he was a good poet, apparently, and I feel like I've heard that name before. Although it is confusing because there's an actor in Australia called Samuel Johnson, so it muddles my brain. But I do also think I've heard of the poet Samuel Johnson, not just the Australian actor. Um, yeah, great poems, really well done. One thing that was very curious to me was the blanked out words. Pride and pleasure, pomp and plenty, great, blank, blank, are now your own. And uh, Wussy Aussie has come in with the goods, saying Sir John are the missing words from 1 and 20 by Samuel Johnson. I needed to look it up as I was far too curious. Thank you. Thank you indeed, says Acoustic Eels. Um, Sir John, great Sir John, are now your own. I'm not sure why it was... My next question I'm curious about is why was that blanked out? It's probably a good reason. But uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Are we, folks? Are we? Nah. Swim has come in with the goods. James Boswell ensured Samuel Johnson's lasting fame. Lol. His biography of Samuel Johnson, his friend and older contemporary, has been said to be the greatest biography written in the English language. Really? I believe most of us know of Johnson as having written the first definitive English language dictionary, a feat which took him nine years. His dictionary was the first to incorporate standardised spellings of words. Johnson also produced a vast quantity of high-quality pieces for newspapers and academic institutions. These work, works included biographies, encyclopedic and dictionary entries, poetic, political satire, sorry, poetry and political satire, and essays on literature. I found Johnson's poems really good. Oh, there you go. He was the guy that wrote the dictionary. And he is the subject of the best biography ever. Well, now I want to read that. Damn it. Richard Hiago was an English clergyman, poet, and minor landscape gardener. Minor one. Just a little bit of a landscape gardener. Although his writing was not highly regarded by contemporaries, some of it was sufficiently novel to have several imitators. Apparently, 18th century poets enjoyed English gardening, e.g. Alexander Pope. The English landscape garden emerged during the 18th century. The style spread across Europe, replacing the more formal, symmetrical French formal garden, which had emerged in the 17th century as the principal gardening style of Europe. Let me have a look at this English landscape. Oh yeah, the rotunda. Beautiful. I mean, I knew what it was going to look like, but that is beautiful, nonetheless. And, um... And that's it. So, let's read. Let's read. We're just going to do one tonight. My throat's a bit sore. Um, and, oh, actually, by the looks of things, it's a bit of a long one anyway. Twelve pages worth. Thomas Gray is today's poet. And let's get stuck into it then. Born 1716, died 1771. Allergy written in a country churchyard. The curfew tolls the knell of parting day. The lowing herd winds wind slowly over the lee. The ploughman homeward plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me. 
Now fades the glimmering landscape on the sight, and all the air a solemn stillness holds, save where the beetle wheels his droning flight, and drowsy tinklings lull the distant folds. Save that from yonder ivy-mantled tower the moping owl does to the moon complain of such as wandering near her secret bower molest her ancient solitary reign. Beneath those rugged elms that yew-trees shade where heaves the turf in many a mouldering heap, each in his narrow cell forever laid the rude forefathers of the hamlet sleep. The breezy coal of incense-breathing morn, the swallow twittering from the straw-built shed, the cock's shrill clarion or the echoing horn, no more shall rouse them for their lowly bed. For them no more the blazing hearth shall burn, or busy, hi- busy housewife ply her evening care, no children run to lisp their sighs return, or climb his knees the envied kiss to share. Oft did the harvest to their sickle yield, their furrow oft the stubborn glebe has broke. How con, how jocund did they drive their team afield, how bowed the woods beneath their sturdy stroke. Let not ambition mock their useful toil, their homely joys, and destiny obscure, nor grandeur hear with a disdainful smile the short and simple annals of the poor. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth ever gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. Nor you, ye proud, impute to these the fault, if memory over their tomb no trophies raise, where through the long-drawn aisle and fretted vault the pealing anthem swells the note of praise, can storied urn or animated bust back to its mansion call the fleeting breath? Can honour's voice provoke the silent dust or flattery soothe the dull cold ear of death? Perhaps in this neglected spot is laid some heart once pregnant with celestial fire. Hands that the rod of empire might have swayed or waked to ecstasy the living lyre. But knowledge to their eyes, her ample page, rich with the spoils of time, did never unroll. Chill penury repressed their noble rage and froze the genial current of the soul. Full many a gem of purest ray serene, the dark unfathomed caves of ocean bare. Full many a flower is born to blush unseen and waste its sweetness on the desert air. Some village Hampton with that dauntless breast, the little tyrant of his fields withstood, some mute inglorious Milton, where here may rest, some Cromwell guiltless of his country's blood. The applause of the listening senates to command, the threats of pain and ruin to despair, to scatter plenty over a smiling land and read their history in the nation's eyes. Their lot forbade, nor circumscribed alone, their growing virtues, but their crimes confined, forbade to wade through slaughter to a throne, and shut the gates of mercy of, on mankind. The struggling pangs of conscious truth to hide, to quench the blushes of ingenious shame, or hear the shrine of luxury and pride with incense kindled at the muse's flame, far from the madding crowd's ignoble strife, their sober wishes never learn to stray along the cool sequestered veil of life. They kept the noiseless tenor on their way. 
Yet even these bones from insult to protect some frail memorial still erected nigh, with uncouth rhymes and shapeless sculpture decked, implores the passing tribute of a sigh, their name, their years, spelt by the unlettered muse, the place of fame and allergy supply, and many a holy text around she strews that teeth the rustic moralist to die. For who, to dumb forgetfulness, I pray, this pleasing anxious be ever resigned, left the warm precincts of the cheerful day, nor cast one longing, lingering look behind. On some fond breast the parting soul relies, some pious drops the closing eyes requires. Even from the tomb the voice of nature cries, even in our ashes live their wanted fires. For thee who, mindful of the unhonoured dead, dost in these lines their artless tale relate, if chance by lonely contemplation led some kindred spirit shall inquire thy fate. Haply some hoary-headed swain may say, oft have we seen him at the peep of dawn, brushing with hasty steps the dews away to meet the sun upon the upland lawn. There, at the foot of yonder nodding beech, that wreathes its old fantastic roots so high, his listless length at noontide would he stretch, and pour upon the brook that babbles by, hard by yon wood now smiling as in scorn, muttering his wayward fancies he would rove, now drooping woeful wan like one forlorn, or crazed with care, or crossed in hopeless love, one morn I missed him, on the customed hill, along the heath and near his favourite tree, another came, nor yet beside the rill, nor up the lawn, nor at the wood was he. The next, with dirges due in sad array, slow through the churchway path, we saw him born, approach and read, for thou canst read the lay, graved on the stone beneath yon aged thorn. The Epitaph here rests his head upon the lap of earth, a youth to fortune and to fame unknown, fair science frowned not on his humble birth, and melancholy marked him for her own. Large was his beauty and his soul sincere, heaven did a recompense as largely send, he gave to misery all he had a tear, he gained from heaven, t'was all he wished a friend. No father seek his merits to disclose or draw his frailties from their dread abode. There they alike in trembling hope repose the bosom of his father and his God. The Curse Upon Edward Weave the warp and weave the roof. The wolf. Whoops. Let me start that again. Weave the warp and weave the woof. The winding sheet of Edward's race give ample room and verge enough the characters of hell all to, to trace. Mark the year and mark the night with severn shall re-echo with affright. The shrieks of death through Berkeley's roofs that ring shrieks of an agonizing king, she-wolf of France, with unrelenting fangs that tearest the bowel of thy mangled mate. From thee be born who over thy country hangs the scourge of heaven, what terrors round him wait. Amazement in his van, with flight combined, and sorrow's faded form, and solitude behind, might victory, mighty lord. 
Low on his funeral couch he lies, no pitying heart, no eye, afford a tear to grace his obsequies. Is the sable warrior fled? Thy son is gone, he rests among the dead, the swarm that in thy nude-tide beam were born, gone to salute the rising morn. Fair laughs the morn, and soft the zephyrs blows, while proudly riding over the azure realm, in gallant trim and gilded vessel goes youth on the prow, and pleasure at the helm, regardless of the sweeping whirlwind's sway, that hushed in grim repose expects his evening prey. Fill high the sparkling bowl, the rich repast repair, reft of a crown, he yet may share the feast close by the regal chair. Foul thirst and famine scowl, a baleful smile upon their baffled guest. Heard ye the din of battle bray, lance to lance and horse to horse. Long years of havoc urge their destined course, and through the kindred squadrons mow their way. Yet, yea, towers of Julius London's lasting shame, with many a foul and midnight murder fed, revere his consort's faith, his father's fame, and spare the meek's usurper's holy head. Above, below, the rose of snow. Twined with her blushing foe, we spread the bristled boar in infant gore, wallows beneath the thorny shade. Now, brothers, bending over the accustomed, accursed loom, stamp we our vengeance deep and ratify his doom. Edward Lowe, to sudden fate, weave we the wolf. The thread is spun. Half of thy heart we consecrate the web is wove, the work is done. The Progress of Poesy A Pindaric Ode Awake, Aeolian lyre, awake, and give the rapture all thy trembling strings. From Halicon's harmonious springs, a thousand rills, their mazy progress take. The laughing flowers that round them blow, drink life and fragrance as they flow. Now the rich stream of music winds along, deep, majestic, smooth, and strong, through verdant vales and Circe's golden rain, now rolling down the steep amain, headlong, impetus, see it pour, the rocks and nodding groves below, rebellow to the roar. O sovereign of the willing soul, parent of sweet and solemn breathing airs, enchanting shall the sullen cares, and frantic passions hear thy soft control. On Thracia's hills the lord of war has curbed the fury of his car, and dropped his thirsty lance at thy command, perching on the sceptred hand of Jove, thy magic lulls the feathered king, with ruffled plumes and flagging wing, quenched in dark clouds of slumber lie, the terror of his peak of his beak and lightnings of his eye. Thee the voice the dance obey, tempered to the warbled lay. Over in Dahlia's velvet green, the rose, rosy-crowned loves are seen on Cytheria's day. With antic sports and blue-eyed pleasures, frisking light in frolic measures, now pursuing, now retreating, now encircling troops they meet. To brisk notes in cadence beating, glance their many twinkling feet. Slow-melting strains their queens approach declare, 
Wherever she turns, the graces homage pay. With arms sublime that float upon the air, in gliding state she wins her easy way. Over her warm cheek and rising bosom move the bloom of young desire and purple light of love. Man's feeble race, what ills await, labour and penury, the racks of pain, disease and sorrow, weeping train and death, sad refuge from the storms of fate. The fond complaint, my song, disprove and justify the loves, the laws of Jove. Say, has he given in vain the heavenly muse, night, and all her sickly dews, her spectres wan, and birds of boding cry, he gives to range the dreary sky, till down the eastern cliffs afar, Hyperion's march they spy, and glittering shafts of war, in climes beyond the solar road, where shaggy forms over ice-built mountains roam, the muse has broke the twilight gloom to cheer the shivering native's dull abode, and oft beneath the odorous shade of Chile's boundless forest laid, she deigns to hear this savage youth repeat in loose numbers wildly sweet their feather-cinctured chiefs and dusky loves, her track wherever the goddess roves, glory, pursue, and generous shame, the unconquerable mind and freedom's holy flame, Woods that wove over Delphi's steep, Isles that crowned the Aegean deep, Fields that cool Ilyssus laves, Or where Meander's amber waves In lingering labyrinths creep, How do your tuneful echoes languish? Mute, but to the voice of anguish, Where each old poetic mountain Inspiration breathes around Every shade and hallowed fountain Murmured deep a solemn sound, Till the sad nine in Greece's evil hour Left their Parnassus for the Latin plains Alike they scorned the pomp of tyrant power And coward vice that revels in her chains When Latium had her lofty spirit lost They sought, O Albion, next thy sea-encircled coast Far from the sun and summer gale, in thy green lap was nature's darling laid, what time, where Lucid Avon strayed, to him the mighty mother did unveil, her awful face, a dauntless child, stretched forth his little arms and smiled, this pencil take, she said, whose colours clear, richly paint the vernal year, thine too these golden keys, immortal boy, this can unlock the gates of joy, of horror that and thrilling fears, or ope to sacred source of sympathetic tears, nor second he that rode sublime upon the seraph wings of ecstasy, the secrets of thy abyss to spy, he passed the flaming bounds of place and time. The living throne, the sapphire blaze, where angels tremble while they gaze, he saw, but blasted with excess of light, closed his eyes in endless night, behold, where Dryden's less presumptuous car, wide over the fields of glory, bare to courses of a serial race. His neck with necks in thunder clothed and long resounding pace. Hark his hands the lyre explore, bright eyed fancy hovering over, scatters from her pictured urn thoughts that breathe and words that burn, but ah, tis heard no more. O oh, lyre divine, what daring spirit, what Wakes thee now, though he inherit nor the pride, nor ample pinion that the Theban eagle bear, sailing with supreme dominion through the azure deep of air. Yet oft before his infant eyes would run, such forms as glitter in the muse's rays, 
with orient hues unburrowed of the sun, yet shall he mount and keep his distant way beyond the limits of a vulgar fate, beneath the good, how far but far above the great. One more. On a favourite cat, drowned in a tub of gold fishes. Twas on a lofty vase's side where China's gayest art had died, the azure flowers that blow, demurest of the tabby kind, the pensive Salima reclined, gaze on the lake below. Her conscious tale, her joy declared, the fair round face, the snowy beard, the velvet of her paws, her coat, that with the tortoise vise, her ears of jet and emerald eyes, she saw and purred applause. Still, had she gazed, but midst the tide, the two angel forms were seen to glide, the genie of the stream, their scaly armour's tyrant hue, the richest purple to the view, betrayed a golden gleam. The hapless nymph with wonder saw a whisker first, and then a claw, with many an ardent wish, she stretched in vain to reach the prize, with what female heart can gold despise, what cats averse to fish. Presumptuous maid, with looks intent, again she stretched, again she bent, nor knew the gulf between. Malignant fate sat by and smiled. The slippery verge, her feet beguiled, she tumbled headlong in. Eight times emerging from the flood, she mewed to every watery god, some speedy aid to send. No dolphin came, no nerid stirred, nor cruel Tom, nor Susan heard. A favourite has no friends. From hence, ye beauties, undeceived, know one false step is never retrieved, and be with caution bold, not all that tempts your wandering eyes, and heedless hearts is lawful prize, nor all that glisters gold. Hmm, okay. Little cautionary tale from a cat. (laughs) I liked that one, Thomas Gray, thank you. Sir, and thank you for listening. See you tomorrow.